And um, I, I love to talk um, about Christmas around Christmas. Always one of my favorite things when pastoring was preaching around Christmas because, I mean, you can preach redemption. You can preach the oneness of God. Uh, you can preach so many awesome things around Christmas time. And so uh, tonight I want to talk a little bit from the Christmas story. I'm going to kind of pull from the Christmas story and uh, I want to share some thoughts with you um, that I pray will, will help you to leave here a better Christian with a better life. How many of you want a better life? Amen. How many of you want to choose better things? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me. You don't have to stand. Um, I'm going to read just a few quick verses and then we're going to jump in. But in Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, um, this is the account uh, of the birth of Jesus. It says that in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the Bible says um, that the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine this? I, I love to imagine this scene. I don't know what Mary was doing. She was probably planning her wedding. She's betrothed. She's getting ready to get married. And an angel busts into her life, shows up, and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Like, first of all, who are you? <laughs> How'd you get in my house? <laughs> Why are you glowing and nine feet tall? <laughs> this angel crashes into Mary's world and... Listen, he says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. An angel shows up and says, God is with you. And listen, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't think that it was what the angel said that threw Mary off. I think it was the fact that there was an angel standing in front of her. Because he told her, you're, you're blessed, you're highly favored. Uh, God is with you. And she begins to doubt and cast in her mind, what does he mean by that? Like, in other words, she was waiting, you know, for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Where is this going? And the Bible says, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I love this, because he says, like, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the king of all. He's going to be the son of God. And it's almost like it doesn't even phase her. She just says, like, How's that going to happen? <laughs> Seeing that I've not known a man. I, I, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I'm going to stop there. But tonight, I want to talk to you from the subject of the white elephant. Everybody say the white elephant. How many of you ladies were at the white elephant exchange last night? Amen. I hope you made it to the prayer room to repent before you came in here. I want to talk to you about the white ele elephant because 
Every year at Christmas time, we're reintroduced to one of the most brutal, heartbreaking games that tests the limits of our Christianity. It's called the white elephant. We come into the game full of hope and joy and anticipation. What am I going to get? What kind of gift am I going to get to open? And if you've never um, participated in one, you know that all of that joy and hope and anticipation will soon leave you. Because this game crushes your dreams and steals your joy. (laughs) I'm talking about the white elephant gift exchange. If you've never participated in one, let me take a moment to explain it to you. In a white elephant gift exchange, everyone participating gets to either choose a gift from the pile of unopened gifts or steal a gift that somebody else has already opened. Once a gift is taken, that person now gets the choice of selecting an unwrapped gift or of stealing a gift from somebody else uh, that they've already opened and claimed. And so it sounds innocent and fun, trust me, but it can turn sweet Christian ladies into brutal, heartless gift takers. (laughs) Amen. Some of you are already under conviction. I came with a burden tonight. (laughs) It sounds innocent, but the original idea of the white elephant is that there are some things that no one wants, right? There's some gifts that nobody wants. Every white elephant gift exchange that I've ever been a part of, I made it my mission to be the guy that brought the thing that nobody wants. One time, I, I went to a youth function. We had a white elephant gift exchange. I bought a, a I brought a single can of Spam and wrapped it. And then I sat back in glee and watched as everybody cannibalized one another trying to get rid of the can of Spam. (laughs) Another time I brought a Neil Diamond CD. I'm sorry if you're a Neil Diamond fan. (laughs) Nobody wanted it. (laughs) And so uh, the white elephant is the gift that nobody wants. It's Um, The goal of the game is to walk away with something that's of value and of worth rather than to be stuck with the white elephant gift because nobody wants to go home with that gift, right? And so in the the season of gift exchanges, I just wanted to talk to you for a few minutes about some spiritual things worth leaving with, worth choosing, worth getting. There are some white elephants that we have in our life that that we don't want to walk out of our life with. We don't want to hang on to that, all right? And so we're going to just talk a little bit about some exchanges of things that Jesus brings. The Christmas story tells us of some things that we can exchange for that are better than what we have now. And how many of you believe God wants us to have better than what we have now? Amen. And so the, the first point I want to make is that in life we all get a choice. We all make choices, but we don't know what the outcome will be. When you play in a white elephant game, there's this beautiful pile of gifts, and it doesn't matter how pretty it's wrapped. When you get into it, it might be something entirely different than you thought it was going to be. Amen? And so God has given us the power of choices. And let me stop here and just say that what's on the inside is not always what it looks like from the outside. Life can lure you into making choices that seem good. It seems wise. It seems like it would be a lot of fun. 
It seems like it would be good for me. They seem like a great person to marry. But underneath the package, there's some features and things that you didn't know were there. And we've all been there. God gave us the power choice. It existed from the beginning. It's the reason that God placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Um, Because Adam and Eve now had a choice. Without that tree, they're just living in God's choice for them. But God places the tree in the midst of the garden. And he says, don't eat of that tree. That tree looks good. But that tree won't get you what you think it'll get you. Don't eat of that tree. And of course, Adam and Eve foolishly eat of that tree. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. The Bible says Eve looked at the fruit. It looked as if it was good to eat. Food to make one wise. Why not? I mean, if our food had those kind of features, we would probably eat them. You know how I know that? Because every time a new product, weight loss product, some shake, if you drink this shake for 30 days, you'll never be fat again. (laughs) And yet, (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Right? This is Adam and Eve. They buy into it and and they make the choice, but it doesn't give them what they thought they would get out of it. And so there's a way that seems right to us in the end's destruction. Things that we thought would make us happy often leave us miserable. It looked so good. It looked like it was what I wanted. But let me say let me say something that feeding your flesh never works out like you thought it would. We give ourselves what we think we want and then we don't want what we got even though we got what we wanted. Is anybody following me? I just confused myself. But we we think that we're going to get one thing, and and then it turns out to be completely different. There were wise voices in our life that we ignored because we said, I want this. I think I like this. I think this is how I want to live. This is how I want to walk. This is how I want to orient myself to life. But it doesn't turn out like we thought it would. Has anybody ever made one of those choices? You know, you you climbed up the ladder, and it didn't look that far down. I'll just jump. Six surgeries later, you got what you wanted, but you didn't get what you want. (laughs) And so feeding the flesh never works. Following the way of the world doesn't work either. As we look out and we see the glitz and the glam and the picture that the enemy uh, paints for us, and we think that our life would be great if we had that house and if we had that car and if we had that career and if we had that life and if we had that sense of fashion and style. And then when you get it, you realize It's not really what you wanted. The packaging seemed nice, but it doesn't satisfy the soul. Let me tell you this. The voices that you follow will determine your outcome. It sounded right. Now, I'm just guessing. I wasn't there last night, but I'm guessing there were some ladies when it came time to pick. They were telling y'all what to pick, weren't they? Pick the red one. Don't you pick that red one. (laughs) You pray about it first. You seek the face of God first. Because that's what Adam and Eve did. Is they listened to the voice of the enemy. They listened to Satan saying, eat this apple. Eat this tree. This tree is good. This tree will make you wise. This tree is better than all the other trees. You got to pick this tree. I like this tree. 
and they listened to the wrong voice. And it sounded right, but it ended up wrong. Can anybody relate? You took advice. You followed a path. You let somebody else tell you who you were supposed to be and how you were supposed to live. And it just didn't turn out like you thought it would. All right, now I know I'm preaching to somebody tonight. Because the good news is you don't have to stay stuck with the mess that you created. Because we're talking about a gift exchange. Is there's always something better to choose. Something better to get a hold of. And God will trade with you. In fact, in Isaiah 61, he said he'll give you beauty for ashes. He'll give you joy in exchange for your sorrow. He'll give you a garment of praise and trade it in for your spirit of heaviness. So God is saying, I'll take the stuff that you don't want and give you the stuff that you really need. I'll make the exchange with you. I'll be the guy that goes home with a white elephant. Thank you, Jesus. And so there, there are some things worth choosing. There are some things in life that we can't choose, okay? We can't, we can't choose where we came from. Somebody is going to amen this. You can't choose your family. <laughs> you can't choose your background. You can't choose what level uh, of wealth or poverty that you grew up in. You can't choose that stuff. You can't choose your skin color. You can't choose your culture. You can't, you can't choose all of those things, right? You can't choose what happens around you. Circumstances happen that are out of your control. There are trials and tribulations. Um, things that come that we just don't have the ability to impact. Uh, we, we don't get to choose what other people do and, and what other choices that people make that impact us. We, we don't get to pick how wise our parents were or weren't. We are in many ways a product of our environment and, and we are subject to our environment. But there are some things that we can choose. There are some things we get to choose and there are some things worth choosing. Craig Rochelle said this. He says, choose wisely. Because sometimes the most difficult choices in life are not between good and bad, but between good and best. It's not just the choice between good and bad. The fact is, is that as long as you're holding on to good enough, you're missing out on best. You're missing out on what's better. And so the difference between good and better can be illustrated this way. Is, uh, how many of you like steak? Anybody like steak in the house? I love steak. I love a ribeye. You might not be a ribeye person, but don't come at me, okay? Ribeye's the best. <laughs> and so, but I, I learned something, Brother Daryl, is one night I was out to eat with Pastor, and he said, oh, man, have you ever tried a steak Pittsburgh style? Now, I like steak before this. I said, no, what's that? He said, well, what they do is they pan sear it, and it's, it's real uh, seared on the outside and juicy on the inside. And my steak affection went from one, one level to another level in one night. Because all this time, I had been eating steak like a rookie. I had been eating steak at the wrong level of living. Now, every time I go to a restaurant, those very few times that we order steak, I say, can you do it Pittsburgh style? And they say, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And if the waiter knows what I'm talking about, I said, I know I'm fixing to have a good steak. But it's the difference. It was good. I was living fine. I was living happy until pastor had to interject this little word of knowledge into my life that now I'm living at a different level. Good isn't good enough anymore because I found there's a better way. Right? 
It's amazing. It'll melt in your mouth. This is not a commercial. Go try it yourself. Pittsburgh style. Write it down. Get your pen out. <laughs> in case nothing else of value comes out of this sermon, at least you can go eat a good steak. Amen. And so uh, there's a difference between good and, and better. And we don't want to settle for good when God has better things for us. Amen. So we're going to take a, few, a look at a few ways that we can choose the better thing. And it, and it comes from the Christmas story. The Bible says that the angels uh, appeared to the shepherds. And what did they say? They said, peace on earth, good will towards men. One of the things that we can choose, one of the things that Jesus brings is that we have the ability to choose peace. How many of you want some peace in your life? If you've got a three-year-old, I know where you're at. And I know you want some peace in your life. I want peace in my life. Solomon wrote the following words, Ecclesiastes 4, 6. It's better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing after the wind. Solomon was the richest, wisest man in history. And he says to us that it's better to have one, somebody say it with me, one handful with quietness. That's peace. One handful with tranquility, with quietness, with peace, than to have twice as much with toil and fruitless labor. Solomon was saying to us that it is better to choose less with peace rather than chasing more and never finding peace, never having rest, never having enough, never being content. And Solomon is wise. He has more than two handfuls. He's got more handfuls than any human's ever had. And he says, it's better if you have one handful with peace than it is to have two handfuls and still be toiling and in turmoil looking for more. Human nature is driven to have more. Amen? You eat a good piece of cake. What's that little voice inside say? I'd like some more of that. Give me some more of that. I'd like to have a little more. You start making decent money, and you felt like, man, if I ever made such and such amount, man, I'd be set for life. Then you start making that amount, and all of a sudden, man, I just need a little more, <laughs> right? And, and this is the nature that, uh, of our flesh. It's always looking for more. I want to attain more, have more, gain more, get more, see more, experience more. And we are driven by the allure of the double portion. We want a double portion blessing, two handful way of living. And, and last night I was at a, a, a kids basketball game in Ryland. My three-year-old was went and got him some popcorn, and of course he kicked he kicked the bag when he got up in my uh, uh, lap. He kicked the bag out of my hand. We lost half the popcorn right off the bat. We had to clean it up, and then he realized there wasn't uh, as much popcorn. So you know what he did is he was. He was getting two handfuls and putting them in his mouth. Then you get two handfuls more. And I kept telling him, slow down, slow down. You're going to choke. Daddy will let you have it. I'm not, I'm not going to eat all your popcorn. I just want a piece or two here or there. Maybe a little more. <laughs> but there he goes. He's just grabbing it and stuffing it in his mouth. And just that, that compulsion, i got to have more. This is so good. I want it all for me. He had that two-handful mentality. And sometimes that's the way that we approach life. We just need more. Solomon is telling us that more is not always better and less is not always worse. Less 
with peace is better than more with frustration. Listen to what he says. He says it's better to have one handful with peace than two handfuls and to be chasing after the wind. In other words, never arriving at a place where you can rest because you always are driven that I've got to have more. I need to have more. And Solomon is saying there is no peace in a life like that. They work and they bring it home and they think it's enough and then they say, no, 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 i got to have more. And they go back and they never have peace. They never arrive at a place where they're not frustrated with life. There are people who surround us every day who have worn down their souls chasing after more. More money, more fun, more love, more acceptance, more recognition, more success. And let me tell you something. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have love. It's not bad to have recognition. It's not bad to have success. But it's better. Somebody say better. It's better to have one handful with peace than to have two handfuls with emptiness. It's better to live with less and find a place of tranquility and peace and contentment in your life with God than it is to always be stretching and to never find the satisfaction for your soul. And so uh, here's what one handful living looks like. Now, for some of you, I may be, it may seem as if I'm speaking a foreign language because you're thinking, like, why would I only want one handful? But I want to explain to you what one handful living looks like. First of all, one handful living looks like letting go of what doesn't matter. In other words, if you've got two handfuls, you got to let go. you got to let go of something. Amen? you got to open up your hand and let some things leave from you. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Hebrews is telling us that you can't have too much in your hands. You can't spend your life trying to juggle and trying to possess. Jesus said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. that we And I'm not just talking about monetary things. It can be success. It can be recognition. Listen, it can be your kid's success in ball. It can be a hobby. It can be anything that dominates our life so that we always want more of it, are always seeking after more things to fill our life with, and there's no margin left for God to give us anything because our hands are full. More is not always better. And so Hebrews tells us, throw off everything. So there, there are some things, let's be honest, let's be honest tonight. There are some things we need to cut back. Amen? We need to cut back some spending. Amen? Anybody feel that at Christmas time? <laughs> we need to cut back spending. Because sometimes we can't give to the church because we're consuming it all upon our own lust, right? We can't give to the kingdom of God because we're spending every. We have no margin to help somebody that's in need because we are consuming. I got to have more. If, if, I, if I'm living in a two-handful mentality, I can't help my brother. I don't have room in my life for it, right? So there's, we've got to cut back spending. Here's another thing we've got to cut back. Schedules. Can I get an amen? I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> amen. 
This is not popular to say. And I know immediately some will write off and say it's easy for a preacher to say to cut back your schedule. Look, we're as busy as any family. But understand this. We've got to recognize what is needful and what is simply a desire. We have to say no. Am I saying that, that, that you can't do anything, that you can't have fun with your family, that you can't, you can't fill, fill your time how you want it, but make sure there's some margin in your time for prayer, for worship, for the things of God. Make sure that you clear some space out of your schedule so that you have something left to give to God, to open your hand up. We don't need to fill up all of our time with activities and things. And, and, and listen, we have to learn to say no to good. I'm not just talking about bad things, people running out, spending all their time. I'm talking about good things. We have to learn to say no to good things so that we can say yes to better things. Amen? And so there are some things that we need to throw out of our life. Amen? I think about Jonah riding on the boat when he's running from God. And the Bible says when the storm hits, they start throwing out everything. I mean, they're throwing out their extra clothes, they're throwing out all the extra food, they're throwing out the tackle of the ship, they're throwing out their dentures, they're throwing out their eyeglasses, they're throwing everything that they can throw out of the boat. Get it out of the boat. If it's going to sink us, it can't stay. If it's going to sink us, surviving and being saved is more important than having my stuff with me. And so they threw everything out and were willing to lose it all in order to live. And when it all boils down, let me say this, stuff doesn't matter. If it's hindering your ability to move forward, throw it out. Apparently they came to the realization that Jonah was holding them back. (laughs) And so they threw him out. And guess what? There might be people in your life that you got to kick out of the boat and pray that God has a whale for them. Pray that there's a fish that God's... Pray that they've been called to Nineveh. But don't let them stay on your boat because you've got to be saved. You've got to make it. You've got to get some stuff out so that you can go forward in what God has called you to be and to do. There's some stuff that also we need to turn off. Amen? We need to cut out voices of idolatry. We need to cut out the... Uh, influences that draw us away from God. I love the story. I've been reading about Josiah in my morning Bible reading time. That Josiah was eight years old when he became king and was a part of a long line of kings who had uh, built up idolatry in the land. And kings would come and, and they, their heart would be towards God, but they never got rid of all the idols until Josiah came. Josiah came and there was idolatry in the temple, even in his father's life, who was a worshiper of God, allowed idolatry to live in the temple. But when Josiah came along, Josiah said, no way, not on my watch. And he kicked the idols out of Jerusalem. He kicked them out of Judah. And he said, there's no more room. We're turning that off out of our life. We're not letting our worship be distracted and and, uh, uh, diffused by these other things anymore. And so there are some some things that we need to cut back, some things we need to throw out, and there's some things that we need to turn off. If it distracts us from our purpose, turn it off. Cut it out. But not only, it's not just about letting go. It's also about fighting for what does matter. Because you can't fight for what does matter until you let go of what doesn't matter. Nehemiah 4.14 says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brother's 
your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love this because they're rebuilding the wall in uh, Jerusalem. And God reminds them. He says, don't forget. Don't forget what you're fighting for. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget that you're in Jerusalem because of your wife and your kids and your people and your God. These are the things that matter the most. And so when you let go of the things that don't matter, it frees you to fight for the things that do matter. I want to say this. Some people can't do spiritual warfare for their families because their hands are full. Your hands are just too full. You don't have time to pray like your kids need you to pray. You don't have time to pray like your marriage needs you to pray. You don't have time to seek the face of God like your family needs you to seek the face of God. Our hands are too full. Our schedules are too full. We have too much to fit in the necessary energy and effort to fight for our marriage, for our ministries, for our families. And Solomon says, listen, it's better to have one handful, just one. It's better to have one handful with peace and rest than chasing two handfuls while never catching it and losing the entire way that you go. We need less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Listen to this. You need to tell yourself this every day. My life is too valuable My calling is too great. My God is too good to waste my life on meaningless things. Let me tell you something. When you let go of some things in your life and you start living with just one handful, I want to tell you something. God can begin to use you and you can begin to help somebody else. You can begin to give to others. You can begin to encourage others because you're not exasperated yourself. You ever try to encourage anybody when you're frustrated? It doesn't work. Most of us can't even think about encouraging somebody else when we're down and when we're hurting. And so you can, when you have this margin in your life, you can encourage others. You can rest. Does anybody, would would anybody like rest? I hope you're not getting it right now. (laughs) This is not the time. Let go of that. (laughs) But you can get rest for your soul, for your mind, for your spirit. And there's a book out I want to recommend to you called Margin. And it's about having margin in your money, having margin in your marriage, having margin in your schedule. Is We are consumers by nature. And if we're not careful, we'll chase those two handfuls till it's the death of us. We've got to learn when the Spirit says stop. And we need margin. Why? Because it's better to have one handful with peace. Somebody say with peace. Let me tell you something. Jesus helps us. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. In other words, you don't have to work your your back to the grave when you're serving Jesus. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you what? I'll I'll give you rest. In other words, I'm going to pick up that load. And you'll be, it's just like tithing. When you begin to commit your life to God and you begin to let go of the things that don't matter and cling to the things that do with that one handful, what God does is He says, I'm going to make up the difference and I'm going to give you peace. Peace that this world cannot take. Peace that circumstances can't take. Peace that, that nothing. No storm, no night can steal away from you. Peace that passes all understanding. That will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. How do we get it? We get it by letting go of the things that don't matter. And holding on to the things that do.
And so you don't have to hold on to frustration and disappointment. He will take it and exchange it with you. He'll take that white elephant and he'll give you peace that this world cannot take away. So that's one exchange that Jesus... Now I'm on the sermon two or three. I can't keep track. But there's another thing that Jesus allows us to choose. Somebody say he allows us to choose patience. Patience over pride. And so Ecclesiastes 7.8, Solomon said, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Better is the patient in spirit than the proud in spirit. So most of us uh, find ourselves occasionally, maybe, impatient. Anybody ever been impatient? How many of you were impatient today? Let me tell you something. Some of us are so good at impatience that it's almost our spiritual gifting. <laughs> That's just what, it's almost like it's what I was created for, is to be impatient. And, um, but the truth is that impatience, uh, anger, revenge is a natural human emotion that we all experience. But I want to say there's something supernatural. There's something better that will transform our relationships and will allow peace to reign in your spirit. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Our greatest battle in this life is not with other people. If they would just, how many of you have ever said, if they would just be quiet? I tell my kids, that if y'all would just be quiet for a minute, daddy would be so upset. <laughs> if y'all would just stop jumping off the couch onto the coffee table. But listen, it's not about what others are doing. Our greatest struggle in life and with patience is not with others. It's with ourselves. It takes more strength to have self-control, is what Solomon is saying, than it does to fight for everything that you want and desire. The way of the warrior is you take it by force, right? Some of us have that personality in this room. When you want something, you go and you get it. Right now, I want it. I've got to have it. It's mine, right? And so that's the warrior way. But when our patience is tested, we are tempted to fight. Why won't they do the wrong thing? That's when our hackles get up. Why, why won't they apologize? Why won't they listen to me? Why won't my boss recognize what I'm doing here? Why won't my coworkers get along with me? And so at times... A fighter can charge in and get things done. How many of you ever seen that happen? Somebody just bulls in and just gets things done. And sometimes we're convinced that that's the best way. A fighter can take a city, but often they cannot rule it once they've taken it. They can win a war, but they can't hold anyone's trust. And so why, why does Solomon say that patience is better than pride? I want, I want us to notice something, that... Solomon sets patience up against pride, not against impatience, against pride. Have you ever noticed that when we're the most impatient, it's because it's coming out of a place of pride, like, I don't deserve this, I deserve better, I need better? It's very self-centered, impatience is, isn't it? Because, like, who are you to make me wait? Who are you to be on my road during traffic hour in my way? <laughs> I've got places to be. I've got things to do. Patience is opposed to pride. And so why, why is patience better than pride? 
I'll tell you why. Because a patient person can heal broken relationships. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Have you ever seen this happen? Somebody is really mad and just really upset. And somebody who's not moved by that and doesn't react to that can totally diffuse a situation. The Bible says it this way, a soft answer turneth away wrath. You ever met that customer service rep and you were just ready to chew them out and they were so sweet you had a hard time being mean to them and ugly like you really wanted to be? It's because a patient person can change the atmosphere. I think about Joseph and his brothers. The first time that Joseph's brothers show up, he has the power and the ability to not only reveal himself but lord it over them, but he doesn't do it right away. He wants to see what they're about. He wants to see what their situation is. He wants to gather some information in. And so very patiently, now there's a lot of people who have been waiting a long time to see those guys and let them know what's happened and how wrong they were about those dreams that you threw me in the pit over. Look at me now. How do you like me now? Right? There's a lot of people that would have jumped at that chance and been like, do you guys even know who I am? But not Joseph. Joseph sits back and waits and watches and observes. He finds out that his dad's still alive. Finds out that he's got a full brother named Benjamin. Finds out all of this information. And then when it comes time to reveal who he is, he forgives them. He waits and then he forgives them. He's patient. He's not in a hurry. In fact, even when he's kind of messing with them and putting stuff in their pack to get them to bring Jacob over into Egypt and and he's trying to set up circumstances so he can reunite with his dad, he's very patient. He's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. He's not trying to find revenge. And he forgives and says what he understood this, what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. God used it for good. And Joseph is patient with his brothers. And The relationship is restored entirely, entirely because of Joseph. His brothers did nothing to repair that relationship. But a patient man can heal broken relationships. I want to say this. If you've got issues in your family and problems in your family and you want to jump in and fix it and fix the way that they think and set the record straight, sometimes it's wiser to step back observe, and let some things unfold. I've watched it with, with parents whose kids have walked away from the truth and, and have gone to live in the world. And, and mom and dad, you can run after them and, and try to wring them by the neck and drag them back to church, but the problem is they won't stay when they get there. And so patience can restore. Better a patient man than a warrior. Better a patient person that can win a fight than, than those that can win a fight. Because Patient people can help heal broken relationships. Through patience, Proverbs 25, 15 says, a ruler can be persuaded. Not pushing, not pressing, not in a hurry all the time, but patience. Through patience, God can change a heart and heal a broken relationship. Not only that, but a patient person gives God time to work. Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Again, it takes a strong person to be patient. Can I get an amen? It takes a strong person to keep your desires under control and to exhibit patience. 
The Bible tells the parable where Jesus said that an enemy went out to sow and he sowed uh, tares in the, the, the field of um, his enemy. And so that when harvest time came, they saw that the tares had grown up with the wheat. And the first inclination of those uh, uh, harvesters was to run out and to try to tear out the tares, right? Trying to get the tares out of the field. We got to we got to keep a clean field, Brother Greg. we got to get all the stuff the enemy put in the field. we got to get it right back out. We've got to undo what the enemy did. And, and Jesus tells them in wisdom, he says, Let them remain until the time of the harvest. Because trying to deal with the tares in a reactionary way will damage the wheat and will accomplish the will of the enemy. So by trying to fix it, you can do what the enemy intended in the first place. But by being patient, he says, wait till the harvest time. Wait till the last of the harvest. He says, because when we go to harvest, we're going to separate the wheat from the tares. It'll all be separated at the end of time. It'll all shake out. It'll all pan out. But you cannot go into the field and try to fix it right now. You've got to be patient. It's not enough to know what God's will is. That is for the wheat and the tares to be separated. It's not enough to know what God's will is. We also need to know when God's will is. God told David, wait until you hear the sound of it going about in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you will know the Lord has gone before you. He said, I'm going to give you victory, but David, you better wait until you hear what I tell you you need to hear. You better wait until you hear the marching in the treetops. Because then you will know. Then you will have your confirmation. Then it's green light. It's go time. My power, my spirit is with you. Everything will be set up for your victory. But you got to wait. So it may be God's will for you to win your friend, to see your child come back to God, to see your marriage restored. But a patient person is better than a fighter because they wait until the word they have is in due season. They wait for the right opening. They wait for the right time. They wait for the moment that God has ordained for it to happen. And so we don't have to live this way where we're constantly fighting and pushing and pressing for the things that we know God has spoken to us. That's a frustrating way to live. And it's a way to live where we cause more damage than we do good. Can I get an amen? And so he says it's better Better is a patient man. We get to choose. We don't have to live with the frustration of trying to fix everything and failing at it. We don't have to live with that. That's the white elephant. We want to get rid of that. And so God says that we don't have to live that way. Better is a patient man than he who can take a city. So you can fight. So you can win. So you can do all that. At the end of the day, guess who gets the spoils? It's those who are patient. Jesus didn't give up on people. You got to be patient with people, amen? He didn't write off the woman at the well for her immoral life. He didn't blackball the tax collector Zacchaeus for his sins. He didn't ban Peter for his denial. He loved, he forgave, he waited on God to work, and over time, every one of these lives were changed and more. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. When my wife and I were uh, pastoring in Floresville, Texas, there was a young lady very close to my wife in the church, and um, she went through a period of time where, where we found out, it, it came to light, that she was having an affair with her boss and had become pregnant. And this was a girl who had been praying for several years. Her and her husband had tried to have children and couldn't. 
And now she became pregnant with another man's baby, and their marriage was on the rocks. And, um, and we, we tried to fix it. We tried to do everything we could do. We tried to tell her the right things. And she, she totally rejected our family, totally walked away from the church, and her marriage was on the rocks. Well, after a period of time, we, we would send messages to her every once in a while and just say, just want to let you know we love you, we pray for you, we hope you're doing well. And eventually her and her husband were able to get back together. And um, today, today, she is back in the church, back with her husband, living for God. Her story has been redeemed, and it took years for it to happen. It took years for it to happen. We tried to force it and press it at that time, but we learned. We learned if we'll back off and if we'll pray and if we'll love, and then when we feel like that's not working, we'll pray some more and we'll love some more, and we're not going to fight with people. We're not going to get down in the mud with people. We're not going to call everybody out on their sins. We're not, we're not, we're not here to, to remind you of all the mistakes that you made. We're here to love you. We're here. If you ever want to turn your life around, we're right here. And she's turned her life around today because patience has its perfect work. The Bible says let patience have her perfect work. God can take care of it. If we'll pray, if we'll trust, if we'll believe, if we'll proclaim, if we'll love, if we'll make ourselves available and do everything but try to fight and win, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, Christmas came at just the right moment. Christmas came at just the right time. He didn't come too early. He didn't come too late. But when the fullness of time had come, He came at the right time to be our Redeemer. That moment in the manger was the product of God's patience. Decades of withheld judgment and delayed desire led to that silent starry night in Bethlehem. Aren't you thankful at Christmas that we don't have to force our life? We don't have to rush it. We don't have to make things happen. We don't have to fight. We don't have to take cities. We can trust God and be patient. We can live with an open hand as I taught. And we can say, God, in your timing, we, we believe we proclaim, we're not giving up on, but God, we want it in your timing. God, whenever you say that my kids are coming home, Lord, I want to be ready for that. I want to be like the prodigal father who's waiting and ready to, to redeem the son that was lost. I want to be the parent that is waiting and ready, patiently, God, trusting that it's all going to come together, trusting that you're pulling on them, trusting that you're bringing them back. I want, I want to be ready at that moment, and when the fullness of time comes, God let it happen. How many of you feel that way tonight? We can trade our worry, our fear, and our forceful nature in for patience. The last thing I want to talk about is we get to choose faith over fear. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to talk as long about this one as I did the other ones. We get to choose faith over fear. I love the story of Mary. One of my favorite um, aspects of Christmas is the story that I read to you at the beginning of this message because. There are so many people that live their lives smaller than they intended. Amen? Smaller than God intended, really. And they have been blessed with family, with friends, a good job, a nice home. Um, but you know that fear can live in the middle of blessings? You can be blessed and still be fearful. 
Within the Christmas story, the Bible gives us this powerful illustration of how God can divinely interrupt our blessed lives for a bigger purpose. We don't have to live with the good because God has something better for us. Amen? And so, so here's Mary. She's making plans for her wedding. She's betrothed to a, a good guy. He's got a job. He's a carpenter. He's got a trade. He's got a career life ahead of them. Surrounded by friends and family in the town she grew up in. They're blessed. She's living a blessed life. How do I know? Because the angel showed up and said, hey, Mary, you're blessed and highly favored of God. You're already blessed. You are blessed. God's been watching your life, and God is pleased. Somebody say she had it good. She had it good. Everything was set up. Does any, any of you brides remember the anticipation building up when you were planning for your wedding? That's where Mary is. You know what she's not thinking about? Being pregnant. She's not thinking about maternity visits. She's thinking about what color the bridesmaids are going to wear. She's, not, she's thinking about the life she's going to... She's not ready for babies. They're just betrothed, right? They're just planning the wedding. And an angel shows up and messes up everything. Messes it all up. Angel shows up and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And the Bible says that Mary is confused and disturbed and tries to cast in her mind what manner of salutation this angel has brought to her. What does this mean? And the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You're going to conceive a son. You're going to have a child. And you'll name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And the Bible says that in the middle of the blessing, in the middle of this word from heaven, Mary is scared. It, it messes with her mind. She's troubled and she casts in her mind and she questions. And she says, how will these things be seeing that I'm but a virgin? Mary had fear. She had doubt. She had confusion. But I want you to watch what happened. She chose to exchange them for faith. Fear for what God was asking her to do. Fear that maybe I won't be enough. Fear that maybe I don't have what it takes. Fear. It's fear in the midst of blessings. You can be blessed and be fearful that you can't really do the thing that God put in your heart and that God spoke to you for you to do. You can have all the blessings of life and be scared to death that, God, what if I'm not able to do this? What if you've spoken all of these wonderful things and put them down deep inside of me, passions and desires and giftings, and what, what if, how shall these things be? Anybody ever ask God that? God, how? I just, I feel it when I pray, I think about it, but I just, God, I don't see how it can work out. I don't see how. Mary asked the angel in Luke 134, how can this happen? I want to tell you there will always be reasons to be fearful and not to believe. There will always be reasons not to believe in what God has spoken to you. There will always be reasons not to believe in what God spoke for you to be and do in your life. There will always be reasons. Believe anyways. Trust anyways. Have faith anyways. Because listen, 
The angel replied. He says, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're not in this alone. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he'll be called the Son of God for nothing. Somebody say it with me. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. And so this holiday season, we get to choose faith over fear. If God has put things in your heart, and God has spoken eternal things into your heart, things that matter into your heart. I'm not talking about where you're supposed to just work your job. It may be through your job, but it's that bigger thing that God has spoken to you about why you're here and what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be. And you're sitting back saying, God, there's too much evidence against me. I'm having a hard time. God, how can this happen for me? How can I believe God? How can I choose faith? And God's word is that you don't have to do this alone. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that what is produced will be impossible with men. But with God, all things are possible. What the angel is saying to Mary is through the power of the Spirit, you can do this. You've got this. You can believe in this. You can trust in this. You can act on this. You can step out in faith because the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And let me tell you something. You can't do what you were called to do until the Holy Ghost empowers it. You can try your best. You can fight all the methods you think will work, but until the Holy Ghost comes and joins what you're doing, until the Holy Ghost comes and overshadows your purpose, your calling, your destiny, then you can say, you know what, God, it's not really about me. So I can believe now because I realize it's not about me. It's about whose I am and it's about who I am. It's about the fact that I belong to God. Listen to what Mary said. She said, I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. She realized, okay, it's not, about, it's not about what I can do. I'm the Lord's servant. So let it be to me according to your word. May everything you have said about me come true. Because it's not about me and my ability. It's about whose I am and who I am. It's not about what I can do. It's about the fact that God purchased me and redeemed me and he's called me and he's given me a desire and a passion to reach my world, to reach my family, to be a prayer warrior, to reach children with the gospel, to be a, a, a light to people around me, to be salt in this world. He's called me for those things and I can do them because the Spirit of God. I can choose faith over fear. I can choose that better thing. And so Mary chooses to believe and she chooses faith over fear because she realizes it's really not about me anyways. I'm the Lord's servant and so Lord because I want to live for you God let it be to me according to your word. And the Bible says, at that, the angel departed from her. And everything that was prophesied came to pass, in spite of her doubts and her fears, because of the empowering Spirit of God. So tonight, I'm going to close with this. I want to ask you, what is God asking you to do or believe that's bigger than the good that you have going on in your life right now? 
Is he asking you to start a ministry, to go back to college, to reach out to somebody? Maybe it's to end a relationship or to mend one. But you get to choose whatever it is that God has been talking to you about and that you've been dealing with and that you've been asking God, how, 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 how should these things be? You get to choose. You get to choose whether you respond in faith or in fear. Understand this. Mary came to the conclusion that the Spirit of God is going to do this. I love the scripture that says the zeal of the Lord will perform this. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. The zeal of the Lord. That's just in my spirit. The zeal of the Lord. It's not about you. It's about what God wants so desperately for his world. And he's just saying, Mary, Mary, if, if you'll just trust and have faith. I want to bring Jesus to this world so badly. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Here's what you need to know. Is that thing that God put in your heart, he cares about it more than you do. That dream that he put in your heart, he cares about it more than you do. You're just new to the plan. (laughs) Mary was just finding out what God had been planning all along. And God was more invested in seeing that baby come to the manger than Mary could ever imagine. And so when she said, Lord, let it be unto me according to your will, all of heaven's power, force, and authority came upon her and empowered her to bring forth this child that would save our souls. And so this holiday season, you get to choose. You get to choose whether you have it good or whether you have the best that God wants for you. You get to choose fear over faith. Let's stand together right now. I want to ask our ushers to come. We're going to get ready to receive our tithe and offering. How many of you feel it's appropriate to pray right now? Let's just lift our hands and say, God, we want better. God, we don't want to be satisfied with what's good, but God, we want to exchange for the best things, God. God, we want to trade in our heavy burdens, God, for your perfect will. We want to trade in our lesser living, God, for your greater gain. God, we want to trade the things that have held us back in 2018. And Lord, we just begin to pray over 2019 right now that this would be a year of accomplishment, God, that you would begin to accomplish in us the things that you've spoken, the things that you've declared. Let the zeal of the Lord accomplish it in our hearts and in our lives, God. Give us faith. God, infuse this church body with faith. Infuse us, God, with a passion for the things of the kingdom of God. And God, release us into everything that you have planned for our time in Jesus' name.